Hey ghouls, happy hump day, and welcome to Ghoul Friends Podcast, brought to you by your best ghoul friends, Lucy and Lindsay. Grab your blankets, snacks, and good vibes for tonight's sleepover, where the category is always horrifically spooky. If you want to keep up with us on the socials, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GhoulFriendPod on Twitter and GhoulFriends underscore podcast on Instagram. You can also listen to us on all podcasting platforms where we release new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to follow me on my personal socials, you can find me on Twitter and Twitch at Lulu underscore Pew. And I'm at Hi, it's Lindsay underscore on all social media. Now let's get spooky. Hey ghouls, happy hump day and welcome back to Ghoul Friends Podcast. As always, I'm joined by my favourite ghoul, Lindsay. How are you doing? Uh, I am good, thanks. How are you? Good. Yeah, I think we've both been um, girl bossing it lately and been in the office a lot and we're both very tired ghouls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I've been doing like a bit of overtime and stuff recently, which I've not really done in a long ass time, but it's worth it, so... It's all good. You need some self-care. Some self-care this weekend. <laughs> For sure. Uh, we are not alone. We have a returning guest on Ghoul Friends podcast this week. We are joined by Stan. How are you doing, Ghoul? I'm so good, guys. Thank you so much for having me back. Oh, we're so happy to have you back. Honestly, the episode that we did where it was, we talked about the witches and we talked about Hocus Pocus, was honestly so much fun. Uh, so when you said you wanted to come back, we were so excited to have you. Oh, yeah. No, thank you for having me. Sometimes I feel like I'm, a, I'm an imposter, so it's always good to, to get a yes. <laughs> oh, and something that's happened, I was actually just thinking this before recording that you'll appreciate, because I know you said that you're a massive Hocus Pocus fan. Um, yeah. Well, you can see there's a couple cats in the background. We're both crazy cat ladies on Ghoul Friends. But I got Kitten a couple months ago, and well, her name's changed a couple times, but her name's now Winnie. So Winnie, oh, focus, it. focus. Hey. It was, um, it's Wednesday, Winnie, kind of back and forth, but Winnie quite soon. So I was like, oh, I need to tell, I need to tell Stan that. But oh, um, good. <laughs> but anyway, before we get into what we're actually speaking about on the spooky sleepover tonight. Uh, for any new listeners who didn't hear you on the last episode, do you want to tell them a little bit about your corner of the internet and kind of like how you got into horror as well and talk about like the things that you do online as well? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I run a YouTube channel called Stanny Boy Reviews and uh, I review horror films and on occasion interview random horror movie stars from like the 80s and 90s and today i've interviewed denise richards and um the actor j trevor edmund from uh, return of the living dead 3 and Pumpkinhead 2 among other people and i used to post weekly now it's uh more by by monthly or, or by by you know every two weeks um just because life is kind of getting in the way right now and uh you know but um i still really love doing it so i'm just trying to figure out a happy medium um, but I'm also on Twitter at Stanny Boy Review and Instagram at Stanny Boy Reviews. And uh, yeah, that's that's my little corner of the web. And uh, you can find me there. And as far as um, my introduction to horror, I think the last time we spoke, um, I had mentioned it was uh, Pet Cemetery at a very young age. And um, that is still the same thing. It, it was I was introduced to that by my stepfather when I was about three or four years old and it left a everlasting impression and um i still have nightmares at any given random night from that film but i still watch it more than i am you know than i admit 
Um, but yeah, Stephen King and uh, Wes Craven films uh, from a very early age uh, kind of got me started on this. And I am very eclectic in taste and I watch pretty much everything. There's no really such thing as a bad horror film when it comes down to it, uh, which is why I'm really excited to talk about this one. So <laughs> very exciting. It's interesting that you mentioned about Pet Cemetery because originally for this episode, we were going to talk about that. And I had just watched it for the first time. And I really oh. liked it actually. I'd I'd never I've never seen it. It's one of the Stephen King films I haven't seen. And I actually really enjoyed it. I'm so glad. Yeah, it's to me, it's it's literally the scariest film that I've ever seen to this day. And it's uh, I don't know what it is. It's because there are some people out there who watch it and say it's, you know, kind of campy and corny and it doesn't hold up. But for me, it's just one of those really really it's, it's just so terrifying and it's funny because the actor who plays zelda uh the dying sister in the back bedroom my really dear friend bill got the actor to wish me a happy birthday over cameo so i have this this video of the actor who plays that that character to wish me a happy birthday and it's really surreal because that was the character who gave me nightmares and still kind of haunts me to this day so it was like my full circle moment this year to receive that as a birthday gift um but yeah i uh it's a it's a really really personal film and um again i watch it i watch it a lot more often than i should uh considering the effect that it had on me and and the sequel is fun too and so is the remake a lot of people don't like either of those but they're they're both really really fun movies if you just take yourself out of it <laughs> i definitely do want to watch them and um, you know like obviously it's quite an old film now but i feel like it's not it's actually aged really well and the topic of it is something that stays with you i know this isn't an episode about pet cemetery but Lindsay, had you seen the original before or did you get a chance to watch it before we change what the movie is going to be about tonight no, I didn't. Um, but I was really looking forward to watching it, though. It is one of those classic King texts. Um, and I think it's, from what I know about it, it's one of those things I think is semi-relatable. You know, your pet's dying and then, you know, it's like that Frank and Weenie thing of, like, you want your pets to come back, but it's like the actual reality of that is, like, do you really want that to happen? No, you don't. So it's something that I've, it's something that's been on the watch list for a very long time, but... Uh, it's I definitely recommend it to anybody. It's it I think that it holds up in in so many ways, and it, like you said, it's the it's the topic of death that that so many people are uncomfortable with, and it's just told in such a you know such a beautiful Stephen King way that only he could tell it. And I also recommend the book. The book is is so wonderful, and it's so close to the source material. I mean, he wrote it, and um it's it, it's it's a it's a really tough watch depending on where you are in your headspace and um it, it handles it handles the the subject matter really well especially because it turns into something that it that could be considered you know kind of kind of dumb <laughs> you know it's 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 a really good film it's a really good film watch it you should yes and it was also well, the first review i ever did <laughs> oh was it yeah, my very first Aww. review when I didn't know what I was doing. So I kind yeah, it's a lot of fun. We were all there back in the day, podcast mm -hmm. babies, thinking back. Yeah. You know, if I I feel like if I listened back to our first episode, Lindsay, I would just dive cringe just oh. thinking about it. 
I went on a kind of a rabbit hole the other day because I have never really watched any of my older views. And I was like, oh, I should, because I've been watching some of the movies that I have reviewed in the past. And I was like, what did I think about this? I wonder if my opinion has changed. And I didn't even listen to my old opinion. I was just kind of watching like my editing and what I did and what I looked like. And I was like, oh man, I'm so glad that I've gotten better at this. <laughs> it's it's a trip to, to just look back. It really is. Uh, but tonight we are talking about a different film for the spooky sleepover. Um, uh, we are talking about The Hills Have Eyes, specifically the remake, like, um, funnily enough, that you mentioned Wes Craven there. Now, this wasn't one of the first horror movies I ever watched, but it was one of the ones that stuck out to me the most back when I first started watching horror movies, because this came out in, like, the early 2000s, and I remember people speaking about this a lot, about how brutal it was. And I'm not going to lie, it, I remember the first time I watched this years and years ago, and it really did traumatise me, especially, you know, some scenes that we'll talk about later on but Lindsay I don't think you had seen this before had you what was your initial thoughts because I mean yeah um I actually watched the original and this one back to back last night which was really interesting for the comparison you know there is a lot of questions around if this is actually better than the original um a lot of people say it is one of those rare cases where it is better I'd say it's more refined I don't want to say it's better because uh, they are a bit different yeah, it's very brutal um there's also questions around like oh is this splatter is it slasher and it's very much exploitation and it's interesting to see that very 70s genre in a 2000s lens uh, and yeah it's interesting I don't yeah I don't understand why we don't get more films like this and um, Stan have you seen the original and the remake and do you agree with Lindsay do you think the remake's better do you prefer the original or are your thoughts on it both I have all of them and I haven't seen the original in a very long time and it's just one of those movies where it, you don't it, both of these movies well any of them you just don't revisit them like very much just because they're not they're not fun you know <laughs> they're not they're not very fun and um I was watching the original and I was surprised at how how well it it actually did hold up and I you know it's got that gritty 70s feel to it and I just kept thinking wow you know back in the 70s in the mid 70s when this came out people thought that this was scary like people thought that this was like a really scary film and that's kind of how I felt in 2006 when I saw the remake because I saw the remake in theaters on opening night and it was before I had ever saw the original and this like with you like it had left a really really significant impression on me like I remember thinking even back then like wow this movie is in a theater like this movie is being released into a theater and people are watching this in a movie theater because it was just very heavy on the gore and it was very heavy on just all the graphic violence and I saw the the original shortly after the remake and uh, they're they're very similar in in story of course and in um pacing but there are quite a few differences and i feel like they're both kind of their own film when it comes down to it and they're both good in their own rights but i think that this one is quite a bit better as far as you know acting goes and the direction goes and just like there are certain things before this film that just make it work so much better as far as the storytelling goes. And um, yeah, I think that this one's just, it's a, it's a bit better, but it's also just a different movie. Well, I haven't actually seen the original, so I'm gonna have to watch the original now. <laughs> you should. But we'll get into it. 
imagine the first people that crossed this desert, they didn't know where they were. Yeah, I can, because neither do we. Hey, get up. Tell me again why we couldn't fly like normal people. Don't see too many travelers around here. Where are y'all headed? San Diego. You have a safe trip. So as I mentioned, we're talking specifically about the 2006 remake of The Hills Have Eyes. The IMDb plot for it is as follows. A travelling family falls victim to a group of mutated cannibals in a desert far away from civilization. The cast for this includes Ted Levine, Kathleen Quinlan and Dan Bride. Um, the director is Alexandre Aja. Other work includes High Tension, Piranha 3D and Crawl. A couple of movies we've actually talked about on the podcast already, I believe. Um, the writer for this includes Wes Craven, Alexandra as well, and Gregory, Gregory Levisseur. Sorry, I'm probably butchering these names. It's just my Scottish accent. I always say this. I never pronounce things right. This film is around a family, but our opening scene is of scientists. So we have a group of scientists in the desert and their lives are cut short by a mutant named Pluto. We then fast forward a few years later and we see this family traveling through that same desert. They're on their way to Cleveland, Ohio, uh, sorry, from Cleveland, Ohio, and they're going to San Diego. The group consists of Ethel and Bob Carter, the mom and dad, and then they have their daughters, Lynn and Brenda, um, and their son, Bobby. Um, they're also accompanied by Lynn's husband, which is Doug, and their baby Catherine. And they also bring their dogs with them to the trip as well. Two German shepherds, Beauty and the Beast. And Lindsay, you already know what I'm going to say about this. Of course, we have more dead animals in horror movies. We are cursed. Everything we've been watching, Stan, has dead animals in it. <laughs> no, so I, I, it's the worst. I, I can't handle any, any sort of, any sort of butchered dog, cat, like possum it's 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 a it's a game changer man and it, it and of course pet cemetery is one of my favorite horror films so it's really ironic but no i get it <laughs> um so sorry Lindsay, are you gonna say something there i know it's skipping ahead but when when beauty is dead and beast goes to find her and it starts crying next to her corpse 
Oh my god, the tears. I knew it was happening, obviously, because I'd seen the original before this, but that's not in the original, and that broke me. Anything with animals is way more heartbreaking than humans. Like seeing like a family crying over the loss of each other. No, no tears. The second it's a cat or a dog, floods. <laughs> floods of tears. Oh, completely different. <laughs> um, so we'll kind of skip ahead a little bit. Um, so during their trip, they end up visiting a petrol station for some gas. And it's quite interesting because we'll get into trivia later on. But if there's any trivia you two want to bring up, let me know. But I remember. I was actually watching the DVD of this a couple of weeks ago and, you know, back when DVDs had special features, uh, I was watching the special features of this and the amount of time that they put into things like the gas station in terms of the details was, like, really eye-opening. Like, Alexandra, like, they did a lot of scouting at gas stations actually in New Mexico and a lot of other places and, like, got details from each of them to try and make it as accurate as possible. And we'll see in some of, like, the trivia later on they did take quite a lot of inspiration from different areas um that were hit by nuclear weapons lots of different things in special effects and i just thought like right from the offset there's quite a lot of you know things have been thought of not only just the prosthetics but in terms of the set as well um so they end up meeting this petrol station attendant called fred who fills up their tank and tells them about a shortcut that they can take but it turns out to be a terrible decision for them because their tires are punctured by a hidden barbed wire trap on the road. So this initial set, what do we think of the gas station? What do we think about Fred's? I mean, the minute you saw that gas station and Fred, you're probably turning the other way, right? Or is that just me? Like, what do we think of this initial sequence that we have? Well, I, you know, it's funny because in the early 2000s, and well, I guess it started in the 70s with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but there, there was like a trend of the whole gas station and in the middle of nowhere with the creepy toothless gas station attendee. And, but this was the first one where you kind of felt, well, for me anyway, where you kind of felt for the gas station attendant. And um, I don't know, like he kind of struck a chord with me because he was kind of struggling with wanting to not be a part of what was going on. And then like wanting to also help the family. And, um, but also that might be jumping ahead a little bit. I really, I really liked what they did with the, with the aesthetic and just how it looked and everything that they put into it. It, it was a big jump from the, the original for sure, because it just, it, it did, obviously they had more money and this, the, the art direction is outstanding in this film. That is one big thing I took away from every time that I've watched it. It's just everything that they do, the, the detail is just, it's so outstanding. It's so, so, so good. Lindsay, what did you think of this? And obviously, because you just watched the original as well, do you agree with Stan in terms of it is just the art direction is just like elevated? And what did you think of Fred as well? Did you kind of sympathize with him too? Or were you just like, no, no sympathy at all? <laughs> kind of like, I feel like in these films, it's hard not to like, and they made this in the 70s because I, I forget sometimes that it's actually like mutation from nuclear weapons like they really hit home in this one about the nuclear weapons but in the first like in the original they they don't really so it's quite easy to like slip into that hillbilly trope and you understand that in the 70s and in the 2000s there's massive recessions that completely decimated communities and this wouldn't have helped this man who runs a gas station on like a B road, like I'm not sure what you call them in America, but in the UK, it's like 
it would be a B road that it gets no traffic and that's how they're supposed to like make their livelihood so it's understandable that they would fall in with someone like a bad group of people to kind of look after them and the circumstances are a bit different between both I won't kind of say what his relationship is with them in the original but it is a bit different and I was screaming at my tv when he directed them towards like the hills I was just like you fucker like he just it feels like he just changes his mind like with the flip of a coin and he's like nah like I'm I'm gonna do this like I don't know if the family offends him or something but I'm just like no just one last rodeo man like he just like because you see him like just crying and like having like this inner struggle and it's like something you don't get in movies like this either you don't get like that's one thing I wrote down. I don't take notes a lot, like when I'm doing stuff like this, but I kind of took notes up until a certain point. And the character development for quite a few of these characters is really on point. And this this guy included, I didn't know his name was Fred. I had no idea. But, but he really adds a lot of layers to what could be just like a really, really non-layered character. And because up until that point, you really think that he could just be turning his back on this, you know, clan of cave people. <laughs> But then, like you said, he he kind of deviates away and goes, you know, down down an evil an evil path, and it's 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 sad. It's a really sad thing because, like, what is he? What how is he benefiting from this? And it's funny because, you know, as you were saying, like, it's in the middle of the nowhere, and how is he benefiting really at all from like having this gas station? Look at what he's selling. Like his his store has like nothing in it. There's like three bags of potato chips and you know a can of peanut butter and then like he lives in the back with his you know I th- does he have a dog I don't know if he has a dog I can't remember I know they have dogs he lives there <laughs> like it's not a good situation but really I don't I don't understand how he's benefiting at all like even being involved with these people either tangent first tangent of the evening uh something that I was thinking of when I was watching this uh well, actually, it was also because of a news article that came out recently. Lindsay, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I don't know if you've seen on the news, but um, as part of Scotland's uh, stand, just to give you an idea, we have like remote islands of Orkney and Shetland, and the only way that you can get to them is via ferries. And, um, you know, Orkney has been saying that they're thinking of maybe becoming independent from Scotland, being part of Norway, because there's complete lack of funding to the area. It's so remote that, like, the only way that they can get supplies is from the ferries and all the ferries are like, you know, really old and outdated and they can't get to the main islands. How cool would it be to have a horror movie based there where, you know, they're not getting government funding. It's very remote. And, and OK, I know this is about, nu- you know, the destruction of nuclear weapons and the impact it's had on this community, this this community, this mining community. But you can kind of see something like that happening in remote islands like Orkney. I don't know. Lindsay, what's your thoughts on that? Just thinking about that and I'm like that would make quite a cool horror movie. It's actually so funny that you bring that up because Wes Craven's inspiration for The Hills Have Eyes is actually an old like folktale about a, a cannibal clan headed by a man called Sonny Bean and oh. he's from Gerving and he married a woman called Black Agnes Douglas and they lived in a cave I think it's like Benin Cave uh, with all their children and grandchildren and over a period of like 25 years they would come out at night and like attack people and bring them back to their cave and it, it <laughs> seemed so dangerous to 
like the villagers who lived nearby that they didn't think that anybody could possibly live there but one day they were they went to get this couple and they managed to get the woman but not the man and he informed them of what was happening and then it's meant to have been like king king james the sixth of scotland that was decreed that they should be executed uh, some people say it's not true it's like a bit of anti-scotland slander from south of the border but um yeah it's based on a scotch folktale that's insane <laughs> that is i didn't know that we're getting a history lesson today as well you've blown my mind Lindsay. Oh, love that connection on the note as well of like characters and character development that you mentioned there son is there any characters in this like in the family that you two really like you like their character progression i mean the standout for me is probably doug considering what happens later on in the film but is there anybody else for you guys or is it doug is like the main person for you that you like their development same as me or i i think that doug is probably the one that has the most character progression for obvious reasons because you know just as the story unfolds he ends up where he ends up but um i really liked lynn i thought lynn and uh, oh going back to uh, hocus pocus that's kind of funny because vanessa shaw is in hocus pocus but um i yeah i really i really liked her and i kind of had like a, a soft spot for um Kathleen Quinlan, uh, what is uh, Ethel? Ethel. I, I had a soft spot for her. I thought she was portrayed in a in a different way than in the original. In the original, she's kind of like a shrill, kind of underdeveloped. But here, Kathleen Quinlan really really gives it a different kind of spin, and it and it it plays out a bit differently. But obviously, Doug, and he's so hot too. And if you watch the behind the feature or behind the behind the scenes special features on the DVD, which I did as well, he is so different. So it, it's it's so funny to see him as a person as opposed to the actor that or the character that he plays. Um, it's it's a lot it's a lot different. It's funny you mentioned about Kathleen Quinn because I remember on the special features as well. I think they said uh, this is jumping ahead, but it's fine because we'll go on ADHD crazy neurodivergent tangents here. But later on, when I think she's getting like her heart ripped out or something, is it her that's getting her heart ripped out? And I think they said that they could get a stunt double to do it. And she's like, no, I want to do it. And she was so excited about it. And I just loved that for her. Yeah, I think that these are the kind of movies that that actors of her kind of, I mean, of her stature should look forward to being in at a certain point of their career. And uh, I think that this was the kind of movie that, happened at a good time in hers and i don't even know what she's done since i haven't really looked or investigated but this was this is a highlight of her filmography for me personally and i loved her prior i loved her in a movie called strays i don't know if you guys have seen that that crazy cat movie i think both of you would really dig it especially since you like cats <laughs> i'll have to add it to the list <laughs> love that uh, lizzie is there anybody that's like a standout character for you um like i love one like always back in the eldest daughter and like at the start of this film I hate Doug like there's this throwaway line well I think it's meant to be a throwaway line but it pierced my soul and it filled me with anger when he was just he says to Bobby he's like oh fuck your sister it's like what the fuck are you talking about so I hated him so much at the start of the film I was like who the fuck are you talking about um so yeah, I kind of I like how he kind of pulls through at the end, but I held on to that resentment for a long time in this film. So like, don't talk about your wife like that. Um, I think that is one thing about this version of the film. Some of the characters are like high key unlikable. Like 
I don't know, maybe I'm just a bit sensitive or something. Like, there's a part where Ethel is, like, telling Lenore for, like, using the boob and the bottle to feed the baby. It's like, fuck off. Like, as long as the baby's fed, who cares? And she's, like, giving her shit for it. Um, I love Bobby in both iterations. Um, I think Dan Bird does a really good job of, like, being the 2000s version of, like, the typical American teen boy and how he deals with what's going on. Um, Brenda just seems like a fucking bitch at the start of this. I don't know if anyone else picks up on this, but there's a part where there seems to be some weird, like, sexual tension between her and Doug, and I was, like, waiting for the revelation that they're fucking, which never comes. So I, like, hate the characters at the start of the film, but then, like, the ones that we have left by the end so yeah i guess there is progression it's funny that you say that because i wrote down almost everything that you just said the the look that he gives brenda is very it 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 happens and it's made very clear that there's supposed to be something there but it never gets brought up again and this is i mean i don't want to get political but this is very much a republican family on vacation and (laughs) you know what i mean a hundred percent yeah, so it's interesting to see how the the family moral and just like the the regular moral plays out as the film goes on and how things kind of change <laughs> interpersonally. Um, but yeah, I like Bobby in both versions too. I want to point that out. But I, I, Brenda was fucking obnoxious. There was like a point where I I don't you know really terrible things could be happening to you and like granted a lot of terrible things happen to it, mostly everybody in this film. I think we can all agree on that. But every time she opened her mouth i was just like god damn dude <laughs> like oh god like it's it's i want to blame the script but the script's good so you kind of have to blame the person that's <laughs> that's that's speaking the lines and she's not a really good actress when it comes down to it in my opinion so i don't know i kind of wish that there was someone else that was playing that particular character but i kind of like everybody else no further comments so valid <laughs> Um, so after this kind of, as I mentioned, they end up getting the tires on their um, car punctured by a hidden spike, causing the truck and trailer to crash. Interestingly enough, this scene, even though it's only a couple seconds, actually took them over three days to film. And I think they only had like one proper go at it to do the whole thing. So it was like, once that shot's gone, that's gone. So I can only imagine like being behind the camera, like the director of photography and the, you know, everybody behind the scenes being like, oh God, if we don't get this, we're fucked. Um, But they did really well with the setup of it and everything like that. So it just shows you like, you know, how long they took to do some of these shots. Um, So after this, obviously they need to find out where to go, what to do. So Bob and Dog set up, Bob and Doug set off in opposite directions to find help while the rest of the family basically stay by the trailer. Um, But as it happens, the dogs are being kept up in the trailer and obviously they're going to want to go outside. It's hot. You know, they're they're German shepherds. They need to get out. Um, And Beauty ends up escaping. So Bobby chases her into the hills. And this is where we have the really sad part. We see Beauty absolutely chomped to bits. No. This is so sad. Because you kind of have an inkling that there's something in the hills, like in amongst all the rocks and stuff, like without even having seen the original, you're just waiting for the bad thing to happen. Um yeah, and it's and it's just awful. And then when Bobby finds out as well, you're just you're just broken. Like because I 
you know, it's bad enough when your pet dies, but like seeing them in that state and having that happen to them. And I think like Dan Bird plays this really well. Like as soon as he realizes like this is a human intervention thing. Cause it like, you know, if it was like a coyote or something, you're just like, you know, circle of life, she ran off, like it's really sad and but that's like a yeah, human's done that and that's really hard to like deal with, you know. After this, we end up seeing some of the other characters that live in the hills. So we have Ruby, and Ruby's wearing, I think it's Bob, is it, whose hoodie is it? Is it Bobby's hoodie? I think it's Bobby's red hoodie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And she's actually one of the only characters in this that doesn't have prosthetics. The um, deformities that she has is actually CGI. It's supposed to be a little bit more subtle. Um, But she's quite intrigued by by Bobby and ends up going to his unconscious body and then we see her brother Goggle um he ends up chewing on like the leg of beauty and he's just I mean he's so disturbing in this on so many levels uh, which we will get to. Bob ends up reaching the petrol station which appears now to be absolutely completely abandoned and finds Fred in like the outside like port-a-loo kind of restroom and he's absolutely hysterical and crying that he can't do this anymore before Bob actually discovers what's going on and Fred ends up committing suicide by shooting himself in the face with a shotgun and Bob flees the site only to be attacked by a mutant which is Papa Jupiter who is the leader of the mutant horde how do we feel about the mutants because and how do you two feel about the mutants in this compared to the original because obviously i haven't seen the original so i'd be quite interested to hear what your thoughts are on like the prosthetics and the look and feel well it's funny because the the mutants in this one are like quite literally mutants and it's like very clear from the very beginning of this film that it was a nuclear blast and you know stuff that that resulted from that which is why they are the way they are and uh, in the original, they're more just kind of like people that live in caves and wear, you know, bone necklaces. There's not, there's not, a, a, there, there's the, the lead, the lead actor that's on the cover, I don't remember, I think his name is Michael Berryman. I think he's the one that might resemble the most of, of, a, of a mutant, I suppose, but that's just the way the guy looks. So it's kind of unfortunate. Um, but but yeah, the, the mutants here are are really something else. The the special effects team, I think it was K and B that did the effects for this, and um, they, they're they're wild. The prosthetics here are so insane, and especially for the ones that are really out there. The one that you mentioned, I think it was Goggle. That that one is the one that stuck with me, and he's not even on screen very much, and he doesn't last very long, and. That just the noises he makes, and while he's chewing on the leg of the dog, oh, it's just it's it's really really disturbing. But they all they all have their own characteristics, and they have their own like a- agenda. It seems every every one of them have their own personality in this one, as opposed to the other one, which they they have stuff to do and they have you know lines. But this one, it's a lot more prominent, and um, I think it's better in this one, and it's more defined. Lindsay, what did you feel about the special effects in this? Because you're quite passionate about special effects and like makeup effects in film. Yeah, like the special effects are really good. I was actually surprised that um I think it's all the kids have CGI and they did it through tracking and you can't tell. Like it's it's really well done. And a lot of times I feel like certainly in modern films, 
CGI effects kind of take you out and it kind of ruins it a bit. But this one, it's like it's really well done. And I think because it is subtle and they don't go over the top with it. Yeah, it's a lot more exaggerated. Um, I think they've tried to take like a bit of inspiration from what like the radiation that the US dropped on Vietnam did to the Vietnamese people. Um which is interesting as well because the original has like a lot of people see it as a bit of an allegory for Vietnam. Um so it's interesting that they use the Vietnamese victims of radiation um as inspiration for the look of the mutants in this. It's interesting you mentioned that because in the opening credits there's photos of mutation mutations. Um and these are actual photos from the use of Agent Orange during Vietnam. Uh, so it is a direct and I think they take a direct reference from some of that. And like say Stan, the special effects, I mean, goggles, like the, the way that they did that. I don't even know how it feels to be the actors as well with some of these special effects on them. Because, I mean, they're in the makeup chair for like three, four hours, getting it on and then hours getting it off. I mean, that's a commitment in itself. In um, the Moroccan oh, desert as well. Oh, that's true. <laughs> oh, the heat on top of it. And just like that adds like so much poundage to your face like you're you're weighing your body down and it's just like latex and foam but just all of that on your face oh my gosh yes yeah, so we've met papa jupiter and he ends up carrying bob to the mining caves the home of the mutants um jupiter is accompanied by fellow mutants lizard and pluto we then see that bobby wakes up um after he was knocked unconscious and he returns to the car and lies about beauty you know he doesn't say that he found her he's just like oh she's still missing um and this is where we have the night that's probably this is probably the i mean this is the hardest bit to watch like i you know i've watched this a couple of times and even re like i i rewatched this a couple of weeks ago and it's been quite a few years since i'd watched it and it's still just as hard seeing this now as it was then so it'll be really interesting to get your thoughts on this um so at night pluto ends up um attacking the family and sneaking inside the trailer um, where he tries to rape Brenda, where the family's led outside and Bob is screaming because he's been tied to a tree and he's like being set on fire. I will say this shot's quite cool, the way they like go from the trailer and they like fly down to Bob and it's like a really fast shot. Um, tree is set on fire, burning Bob alive. Dog tries to save his father-in-law and untie him, but it's too late and Bob's already dead. Um, a second mutant ends up in the trailer as they're trying to, you know, save Bob. And it's Lizard who throws Pluto off and ends up raping Brenda himself. Leaf, Lynn fly, uh, flees back inside the trailer to be greeted by the mutants. The duo holds Brenda and baby Catherine. Um, you know, Lizard attacks Lynn and tears her blouse. And then it's just insanity reading this, but, you know, it's it, it, it did happen. He ends up trying to, you know, breastfeed from her. Ethel comes in to try to save her daughter and attempts to pulverize Lizard. You know, they're saying as well that they want to like eat the baby as well. They say that the baby looks like really fat and juicy. Um, but poor Ethel is absolutely pulverized by Lizard. Uh, well, Lizard tries to shoot her. And as he shot Ethel, Lim fights back. She stabs his leg with a screwdriver, um, but the mutant retaliates and shoots her through the head. Um, this is a lot going on. What do we think of this scene? Because it's just even now watching this, like it's like they don't. I mean, it could be even more graphic because we you know we see a lot of like rape revenge films, splatter films. But even then, it's just, it's still so hard to watch. Like this, 
it just makes me so uncomfy. I, I still don't know how I feel about it now. I don't know. It'd be good to hear your thoughts on this. It's filmed in in such a like a weird like surreal way, and it's very similar to the original. By the way, like there's a lot. This whole entire sequence is I, I don't want to say it's exactly the same, but it's really really similar, and um and it's very quick. And the way you just read it made it sound very long. And the way that it's replaying in my head also makes it seem a lot longer than it actually is. But when you watch it, it goes by very, very quickly, but it's so, so in your face and it's so polarizing. And what's really, it's not funny, but what's interesting is that upon my most recent rewatch, I didn't realize that Brenda was being raped by Lizard. Like, I think that I have blocked it out on all of my, all of my, um, viewings and i was watching it with my boyfriend and he and i like i looked at him and i was like i think this is the first time i've ever really realized that this this character is being raped and that kind of added like an extra an extra something to this like just because it's, it's just, there's so much chaos and it's just like a it's it's really it's fucking exhausting this whole entire thing is exhausting and this was the point where i stopped taking notes too because like at this point like you just it's like a bad train wreck you can't you can't stop looking away and there's nothing more devastating than just watching watching all these people like just be be massacred you know and like then the mom comes in and like she's like you said she's trying to save her daughters and then she's also killed and then you think that lynn might get away and then she's killed and then there's the part where the 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 big monstrous guy i think what what's his name is that pluto the the big the big lizard and um, i think is it lizard lizard the or lizard, lizard is the one that yeah. is raping her right yeah pluto where he's just he's kind of playing with the baby and he's making these funny faces at her and like the baby's kind of cooing at the same time and in the background you can see lizard raping brenda and that was another thing i think i noticed for the first time on this viewing and it's ugh. It's just, it's, it's, I've, I've seen a lot of movies and I feel like I've been desensitized by a lot of the things that I've seen, but this is something that doesn't, doesn't get any easier each time I watch it. It's very, very fucking gross. I feel dirty <laughs> talking about it. <laughs> and massacre is probably the best word to describe it. That's what I was thinking of as well. And I kind of agree with you. You know, we, we watch so many horror films for the podcast and you've obviously watched a lot of horror films and films in general for, you know, your YouTube and the variety of different content that you do, but it's this still hits home. There's some films that I've watched a couple of times now, like Martyrs. I've watched Martyrs quite a few times. And obviously, even though it's still brutal, it doesn't hit me as much. But this, I don't know if it's because it has been quite a long time since I rewatched it again, but it was it was just as bad. Uh Lindsay, what did what did you think of this whole chaotic sequence that happens? Yeah, it, it's kind of overload and it's hard to process it all because there's so much like watching it I remember like obviously have they like snuck in the back or something or is everybody already out when Brenda is like one of them's got their hand over her mouth so she can't scream and everyone's running out and they think she's fine they think she's asleep and they're all running out to try and save Big Bob and it's just like oh my god like there's somebody back there um I was like yeah I was similar like I was like is what happening like is what I think is happening happening and I ended up actually going to the Wikipedia after I finished the film to find the word and I was like oh that is what was happening and I'm kind of like was that fucking necessary and especially it happening while 
another character is being cutesy with a baby. And then, like, on top of that, there's, like, this forced breastfeeding scene with an adult mutant. And it's like, this is too much. This is too much. And I know there's been a bit of a conversation online recently about portrayals of sex and some people even think consensual sex shouldn't be portrayed on television and stuff anymore they think it's too much I like I don't know when rape should be portrayed but I just feel like this is not the way it should be done like it happens and it can be cathartic for people to see characters come out the other side of it but I just feel like this is not it it's never mentioned again in the film and it just feels unnecessary like a lot of times people are just screaming at Brenda to shut up after this and I know everyone's going through trauma but I mean she's had something done specifically to her that's traumatic and I just it's never addressed and because there's no other female characters to talk to about it it's it's just I don't know I just don't think it was a good idea no it's weird that you say that because Brenda's character just gets more annoying after this too like there's nowhere for her to go and for something like this to happen to her and for no one to see it and no one to be able to sympathize with her or understand why she is the way she is throughout the rest of the movie is it's it's pretty fucking shitty screenwriting like it's not and it's not fair to her in any shape or form for for development and it kind of sucks because her character just turns to shit like she becomes a a shrill loud obnoxious just girl like throughout the rest of the film with like nowhere to go and and it it, it just sucks because like like you like you said like there like it, it really was unnecessary like there's a lot of th- things that happen in in movies quite like this and in this where you could have either done without it or it could have just happened off screen kind of like the dog you you didn't have to see uh like bobby lift the leg of the dog and have us see that the dog had been completely gutted like that like stuff like that is not completely necessary you can get your point across by either implication or just not having it like we get the idea you know like i think yeah, I mean, this film is shocking without having that scene. That's exactly how I felt. It's just absolutely unnecessary. And like you said, it, it is really shitty screenwriting and character development for this not to be addressed at all afterwards. And I think it says a lot about the fact that this film is written by three men. There is no women on the writing for this or the directing. And I wonder how different the character development for Brenda would be if there was a woman in the writing room for this. I don't think it would be, I don't think a movie like this or this particular scene would go this way today. No. Yeah, I I don't think so. No. The early 2000s were an interesting time. We got away with a lot. Like, we, we got away with so much, and I think this was one of those situations. And these directors did high tension, and high tension got away with a lot. And they continued to get away with a lot, you know, Piranha and, you know, I think Crawl was probably their most mellow movie. But this is a really good example of what can we do to rub salt, I guess, because we're talking about it. (laughs) So Doug and Bobby end up returning to discover the carnage of everything that's happened. All these bodies everywhere, the absolute massacre. And, you know, Brenda left there with the shock of what's happened. Um, Lynn and Ethel die shortly afterwards. They haven't died just yet, but they die after this. And we have the next morning where Doug, along with Beast, are setting out to rescue Catherine, the baby. 
Um, this is where we come across the abandoned nuclear testing village where the mutants have actually come from. Uh, we hear a bit more about the history of the miners' cave system. Um, we end up seeing Big Mama as well, trying to find the baby. Uh, Doug ends up getting knocked unconscious and we have um, him awaking in an ice box. And he escapes and encounters Big Brain, who reveals the mutant's origins to him. Um, we also have this like really good chase scene with Pluto. And I remember seeing the behind the scenes of this as well. I think this is orchestrated quite well. It's quite a long scene, but like, you know, when he smashes into the door and he's like, hide, you know, originally Doug's hiding in the bathroom and he thinks he's gonna get him at the door, but he gets him through the side and like rams through the drywall it kind of reminded me a little bit of texas chainsaw massacre like a kind of chase scene of the 70s um what did you both think of this and what did you think of like big brain as well and um you know that's kind of probably the biggest use of special effects in this is the deformity of big brain you know this this part kind of reminded me of you know when characters are in like haunted house movies go to a library and they are on one of those um computers that have like the newspaper reels i like uh i like exposition I, i'm one of those so I, i'm a sucker for you know a background background story so i really liked the big monologue that he gave and this was something that i felt was missing from the original i think that if we got a little bit more background on what was going on and why they were doing the things they were doing the original would have been a better movie um not to say that it's a bad film because it does have some sort of merit you know for you know what it is um but i think this whole set piece is the best part of the movie from the minute that he gets to the nuclear blast zone until like the end of the film, I think that this is where it just like kicks into high gear and is, is is like such a good movie, just aesthetically and effects wise. And Aaron Stanford just gives such a good performance. And every time he gets hit or injured, like you kind of feel it. And like, I, I get kind of sweaty when I watch it. I, I notice, like, I just feel kind of hot and muggy. And um, it's just the set design is so fucking good. Like ever, like you, you feel like that that is all there. And it's so interesting that all of this is in Morocco. I'm pretty sure that all this is built in Morocco. Like they built all this in another country specifically for a movie. It's just it's so wild. Like movie magic is so cool. And I uh, really like that they minimalize the character of the big mama woman because in the original she is just this babbling woman in a cave and she's kind of the most annoying character in the film but here in and out does does look very minimal but it's very effective so i kind of dug that this whole this whole sequence though is is top notch for me yeah i think this probably is my favorite sequence in the film like it is just very slick and it really is kind of like a homage to the 70s in my eyes Lindsay, what did you think of it? I like the scenes in the in the house, like when he's locked in that like container, like I don't know if it's meant to be a fridge or what, but it's so tense. And you just find yourself being like, hit harder, hit harder, and just like looking at the lock and watching it wobble. And it's so it's so tense. And I really enjoy it. Um and yeah, the character design of Big Brain is insane like watching his like floppy ass head like hang over the back of the chair it's so gross but it's also like kind of intriguing and just like how have you lived your life up until this point um and i'm quite happy to watch the dog rip him to pieces as well or just like imagine it because you don't actually see it do you 
and it's so know. funny because we don't see that like we get to see so much other like terrible fucking things in this film but we don't get to see something that we probably would greatly benefit from seeing which is that character get ripped to shreds <laughs> i also wanted to point out that these characters are all living in exposed radiation and i never really picked that up until this time that i watched it like so now now doug has been exposed to radiation and so has his daughter and they're being exposed to radiation for long periods of time <laughs> and, and i didn't really take that in consideration until this time watching it so i always well now i'm left to wonder what happened to them after after the fact that's very true because there is a se there's a sequel isn't there but i don't think it's based on the family is it is it an entirely it different cast nothing to do with any of these characters it's about mm -hmm. like the army who go to like clean up something after the fact but i don't even think the family is mentioned i should revisit that one i didn't watch that one but i remember it being really 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 bad Maybe it's so bad it's like, well, I was going to say so bad it's good, but we love a trash movie on Cool Friends as well, so we'll give it a watch. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Um, so after we have this whole scene, um, Doug ends up killing Pluto. He appeals him with a US flag. Oh, patriotism, I guess. <laughs> Sally, what do you think of this? This is of July episode. I love this. <laughs> that this is happening the day after the 4th. We have our oh, mother's so getting slaughtered by a bunch of inbred cannibals. And then the way that this happens, like, it's just, it's so symbolic. I love it. I didn't think about that, but you're so right. Um, it's good. So Big Brain starts screaming and trying to lure the other mutants to the scene. And um, Cyst is the first to show up. Doug ends up killing him with Pluto's axe. And like you said, Big Brain is yelling and Beast attacks him. But we don't get to see this because, you know, how dare we see a dog ripping a mute to shreds, but we can see everything else that happens to Brenda. Um, the murder of his siblings drives Lizard to grab a cleaver. He's about to kill the baby, but as he, like, reveals um, what we think is going to be Catherine, she, Catherine, the baby's actually been replaced by a pig. Um, so we find out this is actually Ruby who flees to the hills with the child. Um, Lizard ends up killed that pig. Let me tell you, I would have been so upset. <laughs> I know. I love pigs. I love pigs. I'm like, don't you dare do anything to this sweet That's little thing. <laughs> but I quite like, and I also like the character development of Ruby. Like, I wish we got to know her a little bit more. But she's the only one in this family that actually has a little bit. Of you know, of a moral conscious, and she is trying to help Doug and Brenda as we go on. And we see at the end as well, you know, she sacrifices herself to end up helping them. Yeah, it makes me wonder if that character was maybe someone who had just like been found after one of the blasts and had like the unfortunate slide of being raised by these people. I would have loved to get a little bit of backstory on her. And I know that in the sequel to the original, she's a very very big character and i don't really quite remember what like what she's doing or but i know that a lot of that sequel is told in flashbacks of one of the dogs and it's very awkward and weird oh and it doesn't make a lot of sense like a lot of that film is just bits and pieces of the original told through flashbacks of, of the surviving german shepherd from the original it's fucking bizarre i recommend that one for sure it, just it, for a good laugh it's it so weird sounds like a trip it's so weird but yeah ruby is in the sequel to that one oh that's cool um so yeah like i said lizard ends up going to go trying to find her and at the trailer that we can see that papa jupiter jupiter has taken the body of ethel into the hills 
Um, the remaining Carter children end up booby trapping the trailer, filling it with like propane gas and sulfate strips of like a matchbox. They basically make a makeshift ignition switch. Uh, Bobby goes after Popper Juper and finds him devouring Ethel's heart, which is the scene we mentioned before. It's so gruesome. Pop like I say, Poppy goes after him. He manages to get the attention of Jupiter, and Jupiter pursues Bobby to the trailer. After a small chase scene, Bobby binds Jupiter's hands to a window, trapping him with meat inside. Bobby escapes the trailer, activates the booby trap, and it, it causes it to explode as he and Brenda escape the inferno. And this is quite a good scene because Brenda... Uh, Papa Jupiter thinks he's about to get them. He's like, nah, I'm about to get away. I'm about to open this. Like, as he slides the window or something to get in, and then it just goes kapoof into flames. It's quite satisfying. And you know what? I have to give them their dues. I wouldn't have been able to come up with something like this at all. So we'll kind of go on to our uh, last scenes coming up. So in the hills, we can see that Doug finally catches up with Ruby and he almost convinces her to give him his daughter, but this is where Lizard appears. Um, and he attacks them before Ruby can give Doug the child. Um, the mutant's armed with a spike. It's like spiked strip and hits him with it, trying to knock him out. Um, Lizard thinks that he's victorious and goes to Ruby, but is hit by Doug's shotgun, uh, who starts beating him with a shotgun and shoots him three times. What do we think of this whole scene? And what do we think of Lizard? Lizard is just like... He will stop at nothing. Every time you think he's gone down, he gets back up again. Lindsay, what do you think of this whole sequence? Um, I'm just shocked at like how unkillable this guy is. Like, there's so many points during this exchange where I'm like, oh, okay, he's dead now. Oh, like Doug's killed him. And he just like doesn't give up. Like the like the man is a horrible lion. And it's just like, if Ruby doesn't do what she does, like like I know that Doug goes through this massive journey and you know he kind of has to get on their level to try and get Catherine back but if Ruby's not there I, I actually don't think Doug's getting out of this no I really don't think she would have Stan what do you think I think Ruby's kind of like I know Doug's supposed to be the hero but Ruby's kind of the hero really because they wouldn't be alive without her I kind of feel the exact same way. I think Ruby is definitely the unsung hero of the movie because he wouldn't have his baby and he, you know, I, I don't think that Bobby would be alive either. I kind of think that she is keeping particular characters alive throughout the entire film. And um, I kind of feel the same way about the lizard character. He kind of goes full-blown Michael Myers, like near the end, like this, the guy just won't die. And he's so vile, like he's such a vile, vile thing. And um, so when he finally does get his, like it's really satisfying, especially since Ruby is the one to deliver the final blow. It's just sad that she has to go with him. It's not not the way that I would have done it, but you know. So after this, um, just as we think, like you say, Lizard just keeps arising. He's having his Michael Myers moment. He is not going down. Um, but Ruby ends up tackling Lizard off a cliff, sending them both to their deaths. Uh, we then see that Bobby and Brenda find Jupiter wounded from their traps. So this didn't kill Jupiter either. This massive explosion. This family is just literally built different. Um, Brenda finishes him off with a pickaxe before the siblings are reunited. So with Doug, Catherine and Beast. However, this isn't all as it seems. You think it's going to be a happy, well, say a happy ending. They rejoice family reunion, but it isn't. We can see in the distant, 
distance, there's an unknown, what we assume to be a mutant, watching them from afar with binoculars. So it's kind of like sequel baiting and we can see that, you know, those weren't the only mutants there and, you know, they're still being watched. What do we think of this ending? And also, is this the same ending as the original? I don't remember how the original ended all of a sudden. I can't, like, even tell you how the original... Do you remember how the original ended? <laughs> it's it's not the it's not the same as the original. Uh, I don't like I don't know if you want me to spoil it for you, Lucy, or not. Oh, go on, go on. I'm curious. So the original ends with Doug, um, like killing, um, well, whoever the lizard equivalent is in the 1977 one, and it just like it freeze frames on his face when he kind of realizes what he's done, and then it's credits. So this whole thing of the reunion and the mutants still watching, but none of that's in the original. That's right. Okay, that's right. Okay. <laughs> so that is the end of the film for the spooky sleepover. I know we've already spoken quite a bit about trivia like throughout this, but is there any other trivia either of you want to mention that we've not spoken about yet? One of my favourite things that I read was that the gas station that they built in the Moroccan desert was so realistic that people who weren't part of production would pull up to it and expect gas, but it wasn't real. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> so funny. Oh, I love that. They did their job right. They did. <laughs> I had, um, on the special features, Marianne Madalena had mentioned that she had begged them not to go to Morocco to film because of ongoing terrorism. So she begged them to scout other locations, such as New Mexico and even Africa, and uh, um, just other places that were not Morocco because of everything that was going on in, you know, the Middle East. And I'm so glad that they settled with Morocco because Morocco straight up looks like another planet. Like it just looks so, so, so just dirty and dry. And I just can't imagine them filming this anywhere else. I think it just looks so good. But I think that that's a fun little piece of trivia. <laughs> they had looked at doing it in the Mojave Desert. Like they did the 1977 one. Um, I think Wes Craven himself actually scouted it. But there's like a bunch of condos there now, so they couldn't really, like in the exact spot that they filmed the 1977 one, so they couldn't use it. I mean, the location they did use was great. Like I said, it almost makes me think of like a film set in Mars. It looks like a Mars style terrain, like they could do like a sci-fi film there. Um, I was just about to say, it's Morocco, not Tatooine, but I'm sure that's Jordan. Oh, on Star yeah, Wars. Right. Oh, a oh, lot of yeah. Sorry, my brain's there. I should know this. <laughs> I'm a sci-fi nerd. That's but, awesome. <laughs> that was really cool. Um, but yeah, we'll get on to box office and ratings. So this film was um, made on a $15 million budget. So pretty, pretty hefty budget. However, I mean, it did make its money back, but it didn't do that great, which I'm actually quite surprised by because I felt like everybody was talking about this when it came out but it only got 70 million at the box office. I thought it would have had like a hundred plus just given the kind of notoriety it had. Um, but no, I mean, at least it still made its money back and it made enough for them to make a sequel as well. And obviously this is a remake too of, you know, a pretty well-known franchise, but yeah, I was quite surprised by that. And then- It was, it was an R-rated film and I do think they have 
harder times and the mm-hmm. original cut like it was an x and then they cut it down they're like no this is nc17 so they had to cut like another two minutes out of it so i think it's just it was more because it was an r i think if it was a 15 or whatever the equivalent that is in the u.s it probably would have done better but that's true yeah, this was a this was a hard r for sure and i have the um i don't know about you but i have the the unrated version and that's the one that i do watch if i if i choose to watch it and it's weird because they they both look exactly the same to me i don't i don't even see a difference they're both so so uh visceral (laughs) experiences um but yeah it's funny because the second one was made on such a lower budget like the 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 sequel remake or whatever the sequel to the remake and it made half as much and so so it's really interesting that 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 one did better than the remake itself really because it's terrible interesting (laughs) um in terms of ratings all across the board um the critics and the audience are kind of in agreement which doesn't necessarily always happen um, IMBD gave The Hills Have Eyes a 6.4 out of 10. The Rotten Tomatoes critics gave it 52%. The audience gave it 58%. And Metacritic gave it 52%. So all around kind of like average, maybe like a little bit above. But as we always say on Gold Friends, we don't give a shit what the critics say. All we care about is our own opinions and our guests' opinions. So Sam, what do you want to give The Hills Have Eyes out of 10? Out of 10, I think that I would get, like 15 years ago when this came out, my dumbass would have given this a solid 10 because it had everything that I just would have loved as a 20 year old asshole. Um, today on my most current rewatch, I think that I would probably give this a six and a half or a seven. I, w- I want to give it a seven because it, it's, it's a gorgeous movie to look at. Like this movie looks like a million bucks. And I think that that's a really big plus for a theatrical horror film that came out in the the early 2000s. It has a great cast. I don't know how they got any of these people to be in this film to have Ted Levine and Kathleen Quinlan and Vanessa Shaw and Aaron Samberg. That's a that's a pretty solid cast for a movie of this of this category. Like this is not a movie that you would get that kind of cast for. And at, at that time, I think. And um, but the effects are so good. I think this is K and B at probably their best. And uh, those CGI effects are 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 quite good too. I think you can't really notice. I think they're very subtle, as you had said. And um, yeah, I think a solid six and a half, or I want to say six and a half now that I've like kind of like dabbled, in, like uh, that I'm kind of struggling because like the, the rape stuff is a little. It didn't age well. It doesn't hold up. There are some stuff that that could have been done a lot differently. And I think that the the handling of the female characters in the film could have been could have been done a bit differently. Um, but I didn't write it. I don't know. So yeah, I'm, I'm gonna six and a half. Six and a half out of ten. <laughs> oh, that's fair. I love a half score on here. I always go for half scores, but as Lindsay knows, Lindsay doesn't. Lindsay hates a half score. So I'm interested, what are you gonna give Hills Have Eyes out of ten? Uh, I'm gonna give it a six out of ten. I was actually like I'm quite bad for like going into an episode being like, right, this is what I'm gonna give it, and then at the end of it feeling really good after the chat and then giving it a bit higher but I think I am gonna stick to my guns and give it a six um just because when I was actually watching it and especially after the kind of carnage slash rape scene I did find myself just kind of switching off um I didn't really like the characters at the start of the film and I I don't know the ones I could have got behind all died and 
like it, it was just it was just difficult because how do you get behind these characters who are not likable and especially after something terrible happens to them and you should at least sympathize with them to a degree which obviously I do like I'm not a fucking monster but <laughs> like... <laughs> but at the same time like they're kind of hard to get on board with so it, it's like a, it's a tricky one for me if I'm honest I prefer the original and um, this one does kind of like tighten up certain issues with this the story but I prefer the characters in the original and I get behind them a bit more they're not you know quite as nasty to each other um in the original as in this one so I would give like this one a six and I'd probably give the original a seven um yeah sorry for rambling <laughs> no you're right I feel like we've all read each other's minds because I was really humming and hemming before this about giving it a six or a seven because I mean aesthetically it's like an eight to me because the aesthetics and the attention to detail like you can't deny it like everything from the color palette to the set design the cinematography everything is like and seeing like how much detail that they went into it like you can see there's a lot of passion there but the writing is like a three like there has been clearly no women in the room when it comes to the writing of this the female characters really are written very poorly in this and you know it's just that the the scenes the carnage scenes just really aren't necessary and it's kind of unforgivable in my eyes I mean I don't like rape scenes in films or rape revenge at the best of times but you know this just it, it doesn't add to the plot at least with some films like when we watched I think it was revenge you know that's a plot point for the story it's necessary for that story but this you don't have to have that there this could be just as vicious without having it in and I just can't I just can't get past that um so I think I'm gonna give it a six like it's still iconic I think it's still iconic when it comes to like a gory horror and you know whether you think it's a horror or, or a splatter film you know everybody kind of debates about that but um I still like recommend people to watch it because it is like an iconic part especially of like early 2000s horror where people kind of dismiss horror of that time frame you know people see it as a kind of shitty year of horror movies um but yeah I just can't I just there's just parts of it I just it just doesn't sit right with me so yeah I'm gonna go with a six I love that both of you gave it as high of a rating that you did and I will always give this movie like amends for the fact that it was released in theaters and the fact that it was screened by audiences and that it was given positive feedback to a certain degree. And uh, b because a, a movie like this that, that got made in general, like that, that's pretty awesome. So all, all the negative things aside, because there are quite a few of them, like you said, the, the, it, it's just, it, it's, it's gorgeous, like for the eyes. Like, and I think that that's really important for movies like this to be, to be really pretty to look at, like at the least, you know? And uh, like for the the filmmakers to take it seriously and to 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 uh, again to a degree because the script is shit, but um yeah yeah another tangent. <laughs> no, we love a tangent, but that is the end of the spooky sleepover. Stan, thank you so much for joining us and coming back on the podcast. Absolutely, you guys. Thank you for having me. I really really appreciate it. It's always so much fun. Where can people find you on the socials? 
Um, I am on Instagram at StandyBoyReviews with an S. And then I'm on Twitter uh, for the time being because as I guess you're going to have to start paying at one point. But uh, for now, I am at StandyBoyReview without the S. And I am also on TikTok at Stanley Jacobus. That's J-A-C-O-B-U-S. And then YouTube, StandyBoyReviews. And Lindsay, where can people find you? I am at Hi, it's Lindsay underscore on all social media. You can find the podcast at girlfriends underscore podcast on Twitter and girlfriends pod on Instagram. Um, speaking of questionable movies, next week we are going to be talking about one of the shittest movies of all time, but also one of my favourites. It's going to be talking about Birdemic. I don't know if you've seen this, Stan, but it is so bad that it's good. I'm actually really excited to talk about it. I don't think I've seen it, but I've seen trailers and I'm so excited to hear this episode. You guys are going to have so much fun. <laughs> It's going to be a ride. It's going to be a ride. Uh, but thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, enjoy your week. And until next time, stay spooky. Uh...